scripture is um, found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, Patrick. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Uh, my name is Reed Kappel. I serve as the, the campus pastor here, uh, the Olathe Campus of Christ Community. We're glad to have you here. And uh, if you're in town visiting family uh, on this Memorial Day weekend, we're glad that you're with us. Um, one, one thing, if you've been around Christ Community, you may know I, I talk about my family a lot. Uh, my wife, Megan, and I, we have four kids. We have three girls, and our youngest son is Edmund. Our youngest child is a son named Edmund. And, and Edmund is, in some ways, our most unique child. Uh, not just because he's a boy, but he, he has the curliest hair out of all of our children. He eats more than his sisters combined, basically. Uh, but he was also, very uniquely, the slowest one to start walking out of all of our kids. The boy took his sweet time and waited until he was 20 months old to take his first step, which at that rate, he'll start driving when he's like 49 or something like that. But, uh, but, but when Edmund finally took his first steps, we were amazed, but, but we actually consulted a physical therapist to make sure there was nothing wrong with him. And she assured us, she said, no, no, he's fine. He's just lazy. He's just a lazy kid. And so we're like, well, that's good. We can work with lazy. But, uh, but the day that Edmund actually took his first steps, I mean, it felt, it actually felt like a miracle. And of course... We captured it on video, so you have to see this. <laughs> oh man, it's, I don't know if I should be laughing or crying, it's just this, but like, so I was literally, you could hear me, I was coming home from work, and I was walking in the moment he was taking his steps, and like, you're watching that, it's like, you're convinced the man did not have, like, the use of his legs for the first toy, it's like, he's walking, it's a miracle, it's just crazy, and, and, and I, I share this because, you know, when we think about, I mean, when I was leading Edmund to the point where he could finally walk, I mean, obviously, I was helping him walk, you know, we did that whole little, like, puppet walk around, you know, I'm holding his arms, but, but even to this day, as he's walking on his own, I still kind of lead him by the hand. I still hold his hand in certain situations. He still needs me to guide him in these moments. And also, he still follows my lead as we walk together, as, as he kind of follows me in the path that I am walking. And, and, and I share this story of Edmund and learning to walk and how I'm a part of that process because in many ways, this is the picture that the Apostle Paul paints for us in showing us what it means to, to walk in the Spirit what it looks like for people who have come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and to then live in light of that truth. The picture that Paul gives, the metaphor, is walking in the Spirit. And we see this as Paul introduces to us in Galatians 5, uh, a seemingly familiar text, if you've grown up in church, this teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. And what I want us to see in Galatians 5 is that when we understand what it means to walk in the Spirit, what Paul is showing us is that the fruit of the Spirit grows from the root of the gospel. If there's one idea you take from me this morning, it's this, that the fruit of the Spirit grows from the root of the gospel. And it's this idea that I want us to unpack a little bit, but before we jump in, I want to pray for our time uh, as we continue to hear from God through His Word. So let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you in this moment asking for, for your Spirit to bless the teaching of your Word. Lord, we do ask that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts to know you, Lord, to understand the, the depth of the gospel and how it forms us and shapes us, that it is not just a doctrine that we must believe, but it is a truth that, that transforms our very being and the way in which we live in this world. So would you bless the teaching of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's the name of Christ and for his glory we pray. Amen. Uh, so, so if you're new to Christ Community, we've, we've been going through the book of Galatians for the past several weeks, and we're in chapter 5, and really what we've been seeing throughout this whole book is Paul laying out the gospel of Jesus, the central message of the Christian faith of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and that our faith in that story is what transforms us and shapes us and saves us and redeems us. But as, as Paul continues on, we want to be careful that we don't see this is not a new argument that Paul is introducing. It's not that he's saying, okay, I've, I've shown you what, what, what to believe, now let's focus on your behavior. But rather, Paul is showing this connection between the central truth of the gospel and how that must form and shape and influence the way in which we live our lives in this world. And so rather than being this, okay, there's the beliefs, then there's the behaviors, rather what Paul is doing is giving us this further explanation of what it means and what it looks like to believe in and live out the gospel of Jesus. And he frames it around this language of walking in the Spirit. But that's kind of like churchy language, like what does that mean? I mean, you, you kind of have a vague idea of what this phrase, walking in the Spirit, means, but what does it look like? How do we understand this concept? And that's where I want us to spend some time looking at. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does this look like? And, and the first thing I want us to see is that walking in the Spirit, according to Paul in Galatians 5, walking in the Spirit, we see what it does is that it guards us from evil. To walk in the Spirit is a way in which we guard ourselves from evil. So look, at, look with me at verses 16 and 17. Paul says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want." So Paul, and this is common in a lot of his writing, if you're familiar with some of uh, the, the New Testament epistles of Paul, uh, he is commonly teaching on this, this contrast, this war between the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the Spirit, or the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And again, that's kind of churchy, religious speak. What does that mean? And so when Paul refers to the deeds of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, he's referring to, he's describing the nature that we have inherited through our brokenness as, as broken human individuals who have fallen away from God's design for life. 
that to live in accordance with the flesh is to live within our broken nature that has a natural bent towards selfishness and destruction. And to some degree, this, this central teaching of the Christian faith is one that not many people really argue with. I mean, some do for sure, but it doesn't take a lot to convince someone that our world is not the way it ought to be and that we are not the way we ought to be. And so when Paul describes the works of the flesh or the desires of the flesh, he lists them out in verses 19 through 20. And, and, and it's not meant to be this exhaustive list, like these are all the bad things that you could possibly do. Because Paul actually says that he ends that list by saying, and, and similar things that are like this. And so it's not just this exhaustive list, it's rather it's meant to be this kind of categorization of ways in which we manifest the broken nature of our hearts that has a natural bent towards selfishness and destruction. But I'm sure that some of us, as we hear that list reference, that we talk about, you hear the, these words of, of idolatry and sorcery, it's like these are strange words, like this is just kind of this antiquated way of diagnosing humanity that has more to do with mythology than it does with sociology or psychology. But, but again, we would be naive to think that, that the world is, is not broken. We all recognize that within ourselves. We all sense that we don't live the way in which we even want to live. We would be naive to think that the source of all of these manifestations of moral deviation are birthed outside of us. We are all complicit in the brokenness we see in this world. In fact, uh, in his grand work, The Gulag Archipelago, the Russian novelist and historian, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which is very hard to say, by the way, uh, he was a prisoner in the Russian Gulag. And in his book, he documents these words. He says this, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, if only. But he goes on to say, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Now, what Solzhenitsyn is, is recognizing is that within each and every one of us is the ability to bring about destruction, not just for ourselves, but for others. That we have this propensity, this ability, this natural bent towards destruction. And the problem of the world is not outside in those people, but it is within the heart of every human being. We all have this propensity. And so we may look at Paul's words and say, this guy is just this, you know, out of date. I mean, he knows, has no idea what he's talking about. He's very primitive. No, but Paul is speaking to this dissonance that we all recognize and feel within ourselves and within our world. But the question is, if we can recognize it, if we can concede that point, okay, there is a sense in which I have a natural bent towards brokenness, well, what is the hope? What is the way in which we guard ourselves from these destructive desires? And what Paul says is we must walk in the Spirit. Now, for Paul, this idea of walking in the Spirit, it's, it's not just a posture of active obedience, although it is that. But for Paul, the, the act of walking in the spirit is also a posture of defense and protection from the desires of the flesh that we all possess. In fact, Paul says this in verse 16, he says, I say then walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so what Paul is saying is that, is that look, if, if, if we understand that to walk in the spirit, it's not just an act of obedience, it is a protection from, a safeguard against the evil desires within us. That according to Paul, to walk in the spirit is to live in such a way that we desire the fruit of the spirit, which we'll talk about in a minute, 
To walk in the Spirit means that we desire the fruit of the Spirit more than we desire the deeds of the flesh. And when we desire the fruit of the Spirit over the the deeds of the flesh, we find victory over these destructive desires and it guards us from evil. Maybe a way to illustrate it is this, is that it, you know, the best way to eliminate weeds from your, your lawn, maybe I've said this before, is not just to eliminate them and dig them out, and it's not just to use fertilizer, although those are good things. The best method of eliminating and keeping weeds from your lawn is to have a healthy, thick, lustrous lawn. In the same way, for Paul, the way in which we battle against the desires of the flesh that destroy us and others is not by simply attacking them, but rather is living in contrast to them as we walk in the Spirit and seek to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. So for Paul, walking in the Spirit guards us from evil. And so when we think about attacking and trying to wage war against these desires within us that are corrupt and self-destructive, it's not enough for us to simply say, I must stop desiring these things, although it is nothing less than that. We must also see that we must walk in the Spirit as a way to guard us from evil. But Paul goes on to show us that walking in the Spirit, in addition to guarding us from evil, also produces the life that we want that it produces the life that we want. Now notice what Paul says in verse 17. He, he describes this kind of contrast of walking in the spirit as a way to conquer the deeds of the flesh. And at the end of verse 17, he says, these, referring to the deeds of the flesh, he says, these are opposed to each other. The contrast between deeds of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. And so, so what Paul is saying is, as he's putting this contrast together between the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the spirit, he's saying that these desires and deeds are not just destructive, but they ultimately undermine our efforts to bring about joy in our lives. So we may look at these things and say, these are just antiquated, like out-of-date, backwards, religious words that have no meaning on our lives today. But what we see is that we all can recognize and identify with desires that we give into that while they may provide a temporal sense of satisfaction and contentment, they lead, the long game is that they lead us down a path of hollowness, of emptiness, where we find this insatiable desire for more and more that we cannot gratify. And we all do this. We all short circuit our own happiness our own joy by settling for lesser things, by giving into desires that satisfy us in the moment, but in the long run, leave us empty and hollow and far from the life that we actually want. So the question is, okay, so, so what is, now I, I, I know that, I know that I do things that keep me from the life I want to live, but what is this life? I mean, are we all on the same page as to what this good life is? What is the life that we do want to produce? And just, and just think about it. I mean, is it not? Is it not the life that is characterized by the words that Paul shows us as he describes the fruit of the Spirit? I mean, just, just wh- whether you're a Christian or not, whether you, you are sympathetic to, to religion or the Bible or God, just listen to these words and just tell me that this isn't the life that you want to produce for yourself and for others. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
So just, just think about this for a second. Like, wouldn't you want every coworker you worked with, every employee of yours, every boss or manager you've ever worked for, wouldn't you want them to emulate these attributes consistently, honestly? I mean, kids, I, I know some of you, you're, you're here in the service. I mean, think about, I mean, what if your teacher always showed these attributes of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness? Gentleness and self-control. What, what, if, what if every kid who was older than you in school acted this way? Imagine what your schools and your classrooms would look like. I mean, wouldn't you want these attributes to be what, what is described of your best friend, of your spouse, of your roommate, of your neighbors, of, of our, uh, of our of, uh, government officials, of, of law enforcement, of, I mean, our accountant, I mean, your hairstylist for crying out loud, like, wouldn't you want these attributes to be what is described of the people that you come in contact with each and every day? I truly believe that the life that we long for, that we want to produce, is in line with what Paul shows us in the fruit of the Spirit. But before we kind of get all gung-ho about this, like, yeah, this is great. Let's go, let's go live the fruit of the Spirit. Let's go tell everybody about it. Before we kind of get all gung-ho and, and motivated about that, we need to be careful that we don't misconstrue the meaning of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I think it's helpful when we try to, okay, so what is the fruit of the Spirit? How do we understand it? In some ways, like many things, it's helpful to know what it is not before we see what it actually is. And for starters, for the first thing, it is not the fruits of the Spirit. It's not plural, it is singular. It is the fruit of the Spirit, and that's on purpose. Paul, throughout Galatians, has multiple places where he's very particular about using singular words or plural words, and he's very particular here. It is not a collection of fruits that we pick and choose from. We're like, I really like joy, but I don't like self-control that much. Like, we don't have this option of choosing which ones we want. It is a package deal that is meant to be brought together. And furthermore, the fruit of the Spirit functions in a way that you need each of the elements of the fruit to grow in the other elements. I mean, if you think about it this way, kindness without love can very easily erode into just kind of this hollow, empty politeness. Or if you think about having self-control without joy, well, that's just drudgery. Or if we have peace, and we pursue peace without goodness, that leads us down the slippery slope of just pragmatism. That we pursue peace at all costs, regardless if it violates what is truly good in this world. The fruit of the Spirit is not, it's not a mixed salad that you pick, and pick things out of. Uh, so like my daughter Pearl, if she eats anything with raisins in it, guess what's left over on her plate at the end of dinner? So when we have a salad that has raisins in it, she eats everything and just leaves the raisins. And raisins are delicious, people. I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with her. But, but we, we have to see the fruit of the Spirit not as something we pick and choose from, as if we say, I like the idea of peace, but I don't really care for kindness. We have to see it as a package deal. But even more importantly than that, the fruit of the Spirit, we have to see it that it is not a prescription of how we should live in order to show that we love Jesus and walk in the Spirit. But rather, the fruit of the Spirit is a description of one who has been made alive through Jesus and who produces this fruit naturally because that is who they are in Christ. Do you see the difference there? It's a difference between saying, this is what is prescribed for you. This is what you must do in order to prove that you are a Christian, 
to prove your love for Jesus, walk in the Spirit and produce the fruit. That's not what Paul's saying. But rather, it is a description of who we are in Christ Jesus, that we are empowered through the Spirit to live this life, not through our own effort, but through the one who has empowered us to do so. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit is not a list of to-dos that we must perform and accomplish in order to show that we are walking in the Spirit, but rather, it is the fruit that is naturally produced in the lives of those that do, that do walk in the Spirit. And, and, and it goes back to that idea that I shared earlier, that this, this is the nature. It's not prescription, it's description. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit grows from the root of the gospel. You get fruit from a fruit tree because it is a fruit tree. You don't get it the other way around. And, and to illustrate this, actually, I need two volunteers. I know this is kind of out, out of the ordinary, but I would love to have a young boy, young girl. Anybody want to help me out? Who would like to volunteer? I need two volunteers. We've got one back there. I need, a, I need a girl. I need a girl. Right here, right here. Come up on stage. Can you guys give them a hand? Come on up here. Come on up here. All right. Now, come stand right up here, right up here, right up here. What's your name? Caleb. Caleb, give it up for Caleb. And your name? Zoe. And give it up for Zoe. Would you guys stand right here? I would like for you to do me a favor. One of you pick up one of those apples, and I really, I so desperately would love for this tree to bear fruit. So could you just throw an apple at that tree and see if it sticks to that tree? Could you do that for me, Zoe? Can you try it? Let's see. That was close. That almost stuck. That would have fallen, fallen very badly for me. Okay, nice try, nice try. All right, one more, one more. Let's see if you can, I, I really need fruit from this tree. I really need it. Whoa! So close, so close. Someone just got a souvenir. Hey, can you give it, give it up for our fruit throwers here? Nice try, guys, nice try. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, apart from just needing to kill time in my sermon, uh, no, the, the, the point is that, that this is how we tend to think about bearing fruit. That the way we become a fruitful person, the way I become a joyful, loving, peaceful, kind, and self-controlling person is by throwing fruit at the tree and trying to make myself bear fruit through my effort. But that's not how you get fruit from a tree. Fruit comes from the tree because the tree is itself a fruit tree rooted in the ground. But we tend to reverse this order in our minds. You don't become a fruit tree by throwing fruit onto it. But rather, we get fruit when we cultivate the environment that we are in as a fruit tree. Are you tracking with me? you see that? And it's why Paul, after describing the fruit of the Spirit, after laying out and describing this life that we want, Paul says this in verse 23. He says, against such things there is no law. There is no law. Which is kind of an odd saying, but, but some commentators actually think that what Paul is doing here, he's quoting from Aristotle's work, Politics. Because that exact phrase is originated in Aristotle's work, Politics. And, and, and the reason why that phrase is there, it's describing that you can't just produce virtuous character through effort and through more work. And so, like Aristotle, like Paul, he believed that the formation of character and virtue is not something that you can legislate or command or mandate, but rather they are qualities that people produce because it's who they are. Or as theologian N.T. Wright puts it, and this is really helpful, he says, character 
the transforming, shaping, and marking of a life and its habits will generate the sort of behavior that rules might have pointed towards, but which a rule-keeping mentality can never achieve. So what Wright is saying, what I think also what Aristotle was arguing for, what Paul is saying as well, is that we can't simply create fruit through our effort and through rule-keeping. Not only is rule-keeping opposed to the gospel, that we don't earn our efforts, we don't earn our status by being forgiven in God's eyes, but we also see that this rule-keeping mentality is ineffective in producing the life that we want. We must become the kind of people that bear this kind of fruit, and this is actually aligned with what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, that a good tree produces good fruit, and that only good trees can produce good fruit. But again, the obvious question is, okay, but how do we become this kind of person? How do we become this kind of tree? And Paul's answer is to walk in the Spirit, to follow his leading, to desire the fruit of the Spirit over the desires of the flesh so that the Spirit might produce this life that we want. You see, the thing we have to be very clear, and this is hard for us in our Western pragmatic minds, is that it is the Holy Spirit who creates and who grows and who produces this fruit within us. We can't create it on our own. But that doesn't mean we embrace this kind of let go and let God kind of mentality that's very lazy and sloppy. But rather what it means is that while we can't create this fruit, we can cultivate it. And I'll explain what I mean. I mean, think of it this way. If you think of a farmer, a farmer really does not have the ability to grow his crops. I mean, the, the, farmer, the farmer plants, the farmer fertilizes, the farmer is able to remove weeds, but it's really the elements that cause his crops to grow. But he is still capable of creating an environment where the crops are able to grow through the work of the elements in the same way we, as people who are alive in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, have the power through the Spirit to cultivate an environment in our lives where the Spirit can produce this fruit. And, and this is where, you know, we, we talk a lot about at Christ Community, the spiritual disciplines. And, and we, sometimes we get this really confusing backwards order that the spiritual disciplines, things like consistent prayer, the reading of Scripture, uh, living generously, engaging in community, gathering in corporate worship, that we tend to think that these things are the act of throwing fruit onto a tree, that that's how I become a fruitful person, but rather these practices are a means to an end, that they are not a way that we show that we have earned our status before God, but rather it is a way that we naturally live in light of what we have received through Christ Jesus. And so when we talk about things like prayer, reading scripture, and things like that, it is not a checklist of items that make us Christians or make us better people simply by doing them, but rather, the disciplines are meant to be seen as these spiritual gardening tools, so to speak, that we use to cultivate, to remove the weeds in our lives, to break up the soil, to create boundaries, to, to irrigate our lives so that the Spirit might bring the growth in our lives. We can create the environment for growth to happen, but it's the Holy Spirit that causes the growth and produces the life that we want. So walking in the Spirit, what we see is that it guards us from evil. It produces the life that we want. 
But Paul shows us also, and we would be remiss if we skipped this, he shows us that it also reveals who we belong to. It shows us who we belong to. Paul's Paul's teaching on the fruit of the Spirit is not his seven steps to your best life now or, or 12 and a half steps to how to impress your neighbors and classmates, but rather what he is showing us is that the fruit of the Spirit grows from the root of the gospel. And that as we grow, we aren't just becoming like Jesus, but we are increasingly made aware that we belong to Jesus. That as we grow in the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, and as the Spirit produces fruit in our lives, we are not just showing that we live like Jesus, but we are showing that we belong to Jesus, which is why Paul says in verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice the important ordering here. It is so crucial to see the ordering. It is not first about us crucifying the desires of the flesh, and then Jesus says, okay, you can belong to me now. But rather, definitively what is said is that we belong to Jesus, and therefore, through the power of the Spirit, we possess the ability to put the desires of the flesh to death. That that is not what proves, and that's not what validates and substantiates and creates our status as belonging to Jesus but it is our status of belonging to Jesus that equips us and empowers us to put the desires of the flesh to death. Which is why Paul says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That those who have trusted in the gospel belong to Jesus, that they share in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, that they are now alive in the Spirit, and as a result, they now walk in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we show that we belong to the one who we died with. We show that it is no longer ourselves that we live for, but rather we now show that we joyfully live for the one we belong to. That our efforts in cultivating the fruit of the Spirit is not to become someone and impress our Savior, but rather it is, it is a manifestation of the fact that we belong to Jesus, which is why Paul said earlier in Galatians 2 in verse 20, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the, the, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to walk in step with the Spirit is very much like the, the, the metaphor I opened up with, is, is the way in which I walk with Edmund. That I'm leading him, that I'm guiding him, that he is walking in my steps. That, that it, what it looks like is that we walk in line with the one who has brought us life. That we walk in line with the one who has helped us walk. That we walk in line with the one we belong to. So still the question is, okay, but what does that look like? How do we walk in the Spirit? And, and, this, and this is where it's tricky because we have to understand that it's, we are not the ones that can create this fruit, but we can cultivate it. So let me offer a few things for us to consider as we think about what, what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? And the first thing I would say is this, is that we have to open our eyes to see the battle. We have to open our eyes to see the battle that Paul described, the, the battle between the desires of the, uh, the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And that if we are closed off to that, 
If we are naive to the fact that within each and every one of us lies within us the propensity and the ability to be the worst version of ourselves and to bring about destruction in our lives and the lives of those around us, we are not only naive, but we are in such a dangerous place because we fail to see the battle. We fail to see the nature of our own hearts. And so do you see it? Do you believe the battle that is in you? And if so, what will you do with it? Uh, psychologist Carl Jung, he was uh, not, not a Christian, uh, but he very much was, was fascinated with this idea of a dual nature within the human psyche. And Carl Jung says this, he says, unfortunately, there can be no doubt that man is, on the whole, less good than he imagines himself or wants to be. Everyone carries a shadow. This is the word he used to describe kind of that broken nature. Everyone carries a shadow, and the less it is embodied in the individual's conscious life, the blacker and denser it is. If it is repressed and isolated from consciousness, it never gets corrected. So to walk in the Spirit means that we must understand we possess the ability to walk according to the flesh and bring about destruction in our lives and in our world. So we need to see the battle. Secondly, we need to trust that it is the Spirit that is leading us. Do you trust that He, the Spirit, is leading you? That it is the Spirit's lead and not us. That it's not that I am going to live my life and if I incidentally line up with the Spirit, great. That is not the posture of one who belongs to Jesus, but rather we are walking in the path that he is leading us on. Are we willing in every moment of every day to have the eyes to see that the Spirit is leading us and that every opportunity presented to us is an opportunity to desire the the, the fruit of the Spirit or to desire the deeds of the flesh? So part of what it means to walk in the Spirit is seeing that the Spirit is at work in all of life. That every conversation, every opportunity you have before you is an opportunity to either pursue the desires of the flesh or to pursue the desires of the Spirit. And then thirdly, to walk in the Spirit also means that we must cultivate the fruit in all of life. We must cultivate fruit in all of life. And so whether you're a Christian or not, perhaps one of the, perhaps the, the problem you faced in trying to improve your life is that you have focused too much on trying to improve your life. And that what you need, what I need, is less effort and how-tos, but rather what I need is to know Jesus, that I belong to him, and that I should walk in step with the Spirit, and that what Paul promises is that when we do that, the fruit follows. When we know Jesus and walk in the Spirit, the fruit will follow. And, and, and that's why it's so important for us to engage in the disciplines, not, not as an end in and of themselves, but as a means to cultivate an environment where the Spirit can produce this fruit in us. As I said, we are at every moment tempted and, and, and given the opportunity to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit or the deeds of the flesh. So use every relationship, every opportunity, every conversation, every stoplight you're waiting at, every time you're in line at Chipotle to think about, this is an opportunity that the Spirit is giving me to either cultivate the deeds of the flesh or the desires of the Spirit. But maybe for some of you this morning, what all this kind of feels like, it just feels like just useless advice. That you've tried this before. I've done this before. I, I, I've tried these things and I've tried to change and nothing seems to work. 
And perhaps, if I, if I could just close with this, is it possible that perhaps what you need to hear this morning is the words of Galatians 5 afresh, that the fruit of the Spirit grows from the root of the gospel, and that perhaps why you have had such a hard time seeing the fruit of the Spirit cultivated in your life is because you have the wrong root, that perhaps you're trying to create something out of the wrong plant, that perhaps the fruit you want isn't coming because the root of the gospel hasn't been planted in the heart of your life. Because it is the gospel of Jesus that gives us new life. It is the power of the Spirit that guards us from evil, that produces the life we want, and reveals who we truly belong to. So the question for us is, what are you rooted in? And who are you walking with? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we pause in this moment, Lord, asking that your spirit would awaken us to the reality of, of the battle within each and every one of our hearts. Lord, that we have the ability to bring about great destruction and evil in our lives and the lives of those around us. But Lord, help us to also see that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been brought into new life and that the spirit is at work within us and is capable of accomplishing what we long for, the life we want to produce. So Lord, would you show us that, that through Christ we belong to him and may we see that we have through the spirit the power to see this fruit come about in our lives. But Lord, would you also empower us to be people who are mindful of your spirit in all moments of life, that we might seek to cultivate the desires of the spirit over the desires of the flesh, not simply so that we might feel better about ourselves, but that we might live aligned with the one who bought us, the one who we belong to. Lord, would you do this for our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen. It is the, the fruit of the Spirit, again, we don't cultivate and create through our own effort by trying to throw fruit onto a tree, but we see that the fruit of the Spirit grows from the root of the gospel. And, and as I shared, I, if, if, if part of your frustration with the effort you've put in is coming from the fact that your life is not planted and rooted in the right foundation, that I'd encourage you, would you come talk to someone? Come talk to me, find someone on staff. We would love to chat with you more about what it means to believe in this gospel that doesn't just free us, but that truly changes us. Uh, well, it's a joy to be with you uh, this morning and, and worship with you together. Uh, again, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. We'd love to meet you and get to know you at the welcome table out in the lobby. But, but as you go, uh, as we leave this place to be the church scattered, living with the awareness of the Spirit's work in our lives in all things, Hear these words in the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, verse 13. So brothers and sisters, this is our benediction, our good word for the road. May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.